0: whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So the picture of what we're doing this morning is we want to declare as a church that these children, while they're gifts to these families and these parents, we also see them as gifts to us as a church. And what we want to do this morning is we want to commit before the church publicly and before the Lord um, that we will do what we can. We'll do everything that we can to make sure that these these children have every opportunity um, to to grow and their fear of the Lord and to put their hope in the Lord. And so we'll take a moment here. I just want you to introduce. I'll have the the families kind of introduce um, their little one, and they have they may have a verse they would like to read or for somebody else to read, and we'll do that. And so I think we're going to start with um, the RCs with
1: with Hannah RC, and I'm going to have John. Introduce his family Hello, so my name is John. Um, This is my wife Michaela, and this is our little one Hannah Um, We've been coming to the church for the past probably four months now, and we really appreciate just the openness and the welcoming um, All of you have done and the love you've shown us and we really appreciate that Um, So we wanted to find a name that came from the Bible um, and we found the story of Hannah Um, who's in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, She's the mom of Samuel, uh, who was a prophet and um, who uh, anointed the first two kings of Israel. So that was um, Saul and David. Um, So Hannah uh, was someone who prayed for a child, and um, uh, she said if we had this child, she would give this child to the Lord. And um, God listened to this and then um, uh, gave her a child. And so she uh, gave this child to, um, to God. And so we like that story and um, hope that um, Hannah will be a, a godly woman, just like Hannah was in the Bible. So our verse was Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these.
0: All right, next we have, I believe, Josiah. So you might recognize Justin and Mahogany. They were up here just not too long ago dedicating these three. And then along came Josiah. So do you, wanna, do you have a verse you want to share? You want to read for Josiah? Okay.
1: Um, the verse we chose was Psalm 121, 5 through 8. And we chose that because Josiah got sick back in October and he had to have a really risky surgery on his stomach. He wasn't digesting food well. And we chose that verse because we felt like God was protecting him throughout it all. And um, he was just really, a really special kid to us. And he's protecting him like our little king. And he'll continue to watch over him and our family.
0: Very good. And next up is baby Bo. And they were pretty ambitious. They didn't choose a verse. They chose a book of the Bible. So I think Ian's gonna read the book, is that right? Uh, No,
1: you can reference uh, Doug's sermon a a year ago. So yeah, basically uh, my my name's Ian, this is Natalie, my wife and Boaz James Corbin. Um, We chose Boaz because uh, Doug gave a sermon series through the Book of Ruth last year and uh, we really liked Boaz's character and we want our son to grow up to be like him.
0: Very good well um i'm gonna ask parents just a series of i'm gonna ask you uh some que- a question and when i got done saying at you know kind of framing what your commitment is to these children um, i want you just to respond with collectively we will okay so john and michaela justin and mahogany ian and natalie will you by god's help do the following for your children provide a christian home Teach them about the Lord from the Bible. Pray for Hannah, Josiah, and Boaz. Will you be an example of a committed Christian? And will you do your part to help Hannah, Josiah, and Boaz come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and follow him as Lord? If so, will you just say, we will. Awesome. All right, well, uh, next I want to give you guys as a church an opportunity to commit very similarly to these children and to these families so if you call parkview east home or if you are a family close friend member of these folks here i would invite you to stand up and i'm going to ask you guys a question as well and i'll give you an opportunity to collectively as a church say we will church will you by god's help commit to the following for these families Will you commit to pray for and support these parents and their desire to raise their children in a way that pleases God? Will you commit to love these families and love these children with a supernatural love, demonstrating the love that Jesus has demonstrated to us? And will you be a church where these kids are able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and see the gospel of Jesus Christ? If so, will you say church? We will. We will. Fantastic. Families, I want to ask you to come right here in the middle. If you could bring your family right here in the middle. And then church, we're gonna take a few moments and awkwardly and uncomfortably gather around them, lay hands on them, and pray for them. All right. So I would invite church, come on forward, gather around them. If you wanna stay in your seat, you can do that too, and extend a hand. But there's something powerful about us standing around them and praying for them together as a people. Is she okay with that? Okay. You can extend a hand where you're at as well.
2: I'm going
0: to have a couple of folks pray. So. Let's pray together
2: our father we are so grateful um, even to come to you and together we say our father you are our father we are your family and we are we are thankful we're thankful for these gifts of these children the gift there to their families and really the, the gift there to all of us and what a blessing and what a trust and and um, that you have given to us to be their family in their community and we do pray that you will bless them that they will grow to love and follow you and seek you always um, we pray that we will be a church where they know they're always at home, and this is, this is always the place they belong and where they will meet you. Um, we do thank you.
0: And, Father, we pray for these parents, these precious parents, who want to raise their children to love and serve you. And we acknowledge, Lord, that none of us are perfect, and as parents we're not going to be perfect. But as the words of the beautiful hymn we just sang, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea and that you died for us and that you, your grace is new every morning. So I pray for these parents that they would cling to you as they're seeking to raise their kids. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. All right, I'm going to just close this real quick. I'm going to do one last prayer, okay? Father God, thank you again for these children. Lord, we thank you for the gift that they are, not just to these families, but also to this church. Lord, our hope and our prayer, Lord, is that you would help us together as a people. Love them well, Lord, that we would care for them well, Lord, and that they would have every opportunity to hear your word proclaimed, Lord, and that they would grow in a knowledge and a fear of you, Lord. We pray that you would take their lives, Lord, and that you would have your way with them. We pray for safety and for health in their lives, Lord. Um, and just pray that you would help us too as a church to come alongside these parents um, and that we would continue to just point them and um, to, to you and your grace and your love, Lord, and that you would give them your strength and that together as a church that we would be able to support them and care for them well. We love you and we thank you for these gifts. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can make your way back to your seat. We are also dismissing children at this point. So if you have children who are gonna participate in Sunday school, um, you can send them out through those doors. The volunteers are standing in the back and they will take them back to Sunday school. If you want to keep kids in the service, we certainly welcome you to do just that. While they're heading back there, I will invite you to take out your Bibles. Um, if you have one, I sure hope you do. And open to Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 9, and then Pastor Thomas is going to. Um, teach god's word to us this morning so we are as a church walking through the book of genesis i'm going to read verses one through nine now the whole earth had one language and the same words and as people migrated from the east they found a plain, in the land of shinar and settled there and they said to one another come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all
2: Does that help? Okay. It's ironic to begin a story about not being able to understand each other by not being able to hear, but maybe that's intentional. So I don't know about you, and <laughs> maybe it's because in the last few months we've had, well, in the last couple years we've had this baby boy, little Jack, and now in the last couple weeks we have this Disney Plus. You know, has just infiltrated our world with every. Uh, movie of her childhood and all these sorts of things, um, but what I've noticed is that on second viewing, uh, or even just on reminiscing on some of these stories, maybe it's because I have this little boy, maybe it's because it's all at once. But man, some of these stories are a bit dark. Uh, they contain some very dark themes. They're they're not afraid to talk about and display. You know, Bambi. You know, mm, some tough stuff there. You know, poor Mufasa and the Lion King. You know, all these same, all these sorts of things. And you know, as you look back. It's, wow, it's, there's some darkness there. In the same way, I think this story the Tower of Babel uh, can be like that. Um, it sort of exists in my memory and maybe in yours as a sort of playful, sort of silly story. Uh, you know, these people come together and they're gonna build a tower. Let's build, guys, let's build a tower. Come on. Even come, let's build a tower. Okay, let's build a tower. Okay, tower, tower, and then they wake up one day and one of them's like, je ne sais pas parler français. And the guy next to him says, oh, no comprendo. You know the other one. He says what? You know, and they say ah, this is just isn't going to work. Okay, the foreman says, you know what? These bricks, it's whatever. It's just I'm just I'm going to move. And so they all they sort of move, and it's sort of silly, you know. But as you dig into it and dig into the details, and you dig into the reality of what this text is telling us, it's actually a very dark narrative. It's it's this compact. I mean, compared to last week, three chapters. Genesis 6 through 9, to learn the story of the flood, all that. This week, nine verses to see the small, compact vignette of the messiness of our hearts as a people and how we, as a people, as a community, resist God's call on our lives. Up to this point in in the Bible, up to chapter 11, uh, it's all mostly been focused on individuals, people who get names, Right? We get Adam and Eve, and we get Cain, and we get Abel, and we get Seth, and we get Lamech, and we get right, all these people who get names. And we get This is a story all about a community where their unity has led them astray. It's a community gone awry. God has given us this story, and I think it's especially appropriate on a day when we are together committing and unifying ourselves to commission ourselves and be commissioned by God uh, to be faithful with the gift of children that he's given us, to think about this this core-orienting question that I want us to ask as we read this passage today. How can we, how can Parkview, East Campus, how can we be a community that honors God? How can we be a community that honors God? I want us to ask that question as we read this together. So let me pray the Lord would open our eyes now. Holy Father... We thank you that we don't open up your word like we open up any other novel or any sort of book or something like that. But When we open up your word you can give light to our eyes through your Holy Spirit so we can understand comprehend, apply and change our our lives to give you glory and honor. We pray that you would send your spirit now to do that very thing. Do not let us stay the same. Do not let us treat this as mere information, but let it Lead us through the power of your spirit to transformation. We pray that we become a radiant community that radiates your glory, love for you, and love for our neighbors, to all who see, to all who hear. Do this all for your glory, we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's just start going through this text. So in in verses 1 through 3, uh, we get what really, it's just a bunch of facts, really. We don't really know a lot. We just, we know a few facts here. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come. It's, It's conversational language. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, that is tar, basically tar for mortar. Uh, that they would stick the bricks together with. And so this story, it starts actually out on an incredibly positive note, uh, especially when you consider sort of where we are in the story of the Bible. See, see God, uh, who, who we find out later, but there's glimpses of it in Genesis 1, God is not one fundamentally, but is also fundamentally three. He is three persons in one, and so God himself exists in community, and so he says, let us, the divine community, create. Adam and Eve in this world and this its raw and in its wildness, uh, let's commission these original people to be like us. Like us, not exactly like us, uh, but that they would take the, the raw materials of the world and they would create something good. They would be creative, even though they weren't the creator. And so, however, by the time we get to Genesis 3, what happens? It failed. Right? And, and in this ensuing wickedness, we see in Genesis 6, God says he looks down at the state of the earth and what has happened from this beginning that he has made and this beautiful plan that he had to cover the whole earth from this raw elements into this beautiful, you know, place to live for all the world. It's, it's gone awry. And so he says, I've got to start over. And that's really the story of last week was the story of God sort of hitting reset on his world in a number of ways that's, that's become clear. Uh, and so God sends the rain down and he washes away the wickedness that he sees and he preserves this one family, the family of Noah. And so like Adam and Eve who started and would be the family that would fill the earth and, and be commissioned by God to do this great work that God had, God, the God who exists in community, they would create this beautiful community throughout the earth. God, again, commissions this one family in many of the same ways as, as we'll see in Genesis 9 and reaffirms this commission to them to do the same thing. And so... Here we are in Genesis 11, where we've seen this new start, which has already sort of faltered, as we saw last week, uh, in, in, with Noah in the, uh, in the, he makes wine, what's it called? The garden It's another garden, basically. It, another stumbling. But now the question is sort of hanging in the air. Now we've had that initial sort of mess up, and now is the community that forms out of this, is it going to work? Is the reset that God has wrought through the flood, is it going to work? Will this new generation follow God, honor God? And at the start of this story, these first three verses, it looks good. It looks like the answer is yes. Uh, What do we see? Uh, We see unity. Here and in verse 4, we see a community that is in lockstep in their purpose, in their function. What a contrast with Cain and Abel, the first offspring of that first line, right? What, What are they doing? Well, Cain's murdering Abel. That is, this is the opposite of the unity that we see here. Rather than rising up against one another like Cain did, they're rising up together and cooperating and putting good use to the blessings of language and the blessings of you know, a common purpose. So far, so good. We also see technological progress is happening. I'm um, using in the general sense, not like iPhone. Uh, although we'll get to that. But we see technological progress. We see, see bricks and tar. Why do we have, the first thing you notice when you read a narrative like this is when there's too much detail. Detail that seems like, how is this relevant? Verse three, in a, in a nine verse segment that's telling one story, we get an entire verse, 11% is about bricks. That tells us something. There's something significant about that. He says, they had brick for stone, or in the literal, to translate it literally, they had bricks in place of stone, tar in place of mortar. What's it saying? They've discovered, invented a way to make uniformly sized building materials that can be created to make a a very tall structure that will be safe and secure. Engineers, does that sound good? Okay, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. They seem to be heeding God's call to fill the earth and subdue it, to take all the natural elements, the, the wildness that he created. Uh, it was a good world, but it wasn't ordered yet. That was their job. And so what have they done? They said, hey, we've got this, and we can actually, we, we can use this technique. That's where the word technology comes from. You can use this technique to form something good. Okay, wonderful. We see progress. So, so it seems as if things are going so well. But... The sunshine of these first few verses only intensifies the darkness of verse 4. Because when we read these first three verses, we hear a community that seems to have heeded, heeded God's call that he had placed on their lives to, to work together to create a wonderful world that would honor God, that would show forth his, his image to all people and bless them. And so given this success, we would expect in verse 4 to find, wow, and it's pointed at a wonderful goal. All of their progress has led to something beautiful, something wonderful, a wonderful underlying motivation to imitate the creator. And instead, it is just the opposite. And so verse 4 says this, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, literally its head in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so in one concise little sentence, we found out all that we really need to know about the spiritual conditions about the citizens of Babel. First, we see their self-centeredness. Let us build ourselves. Let's build ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves literally to us let's make a building to us for us Uh, whenever you read a a sentence in the bible and there's a word in there that again just like with the bricks it's sort of like why is that there you could remove the word to for ourselves and it would still be a a sentence with perfectly good meaning it would say let us build a city and a tower instead we, we see this and it's being magnified the author is showing us intentionally here's something that's wrong the blessings and progress and unity are not enjoyed in order to be shared or to be outward facing like the creator god who created in order to bless in order to spread his blessing but rather they're creating and using all of god's blessings in his call to turn themselves inward luther uh summarized the the condition of human sin as Curvatus in se, it means curved in on ourselves. Instead of the blessings that have come down to us from God, a life and, and ability, techni- technique, technology, whatever you want to call it what we're seeing here, are meant to go out, They're meant to flow out of us. We're meant to be this, uh, this conduit, this emissary of God's grace and love and creativity into the world. And instead, they have curled it back right onto themselves. Second, we see their pride. This, it's not just a tower, it's a tower with its head in the heavens. It's, it's head in the sky, it's top in the, in the sky. Cities and towers, first of all, are not bad things. Uh, it's, this isn't even the first city in the Bible. This first city in the Bible was made by Cain and his descendants. It's, it's not that towers are bad, no, but what were they? Towers represented places of security I'm protected by, by a wall, right? Places of power. You see, planes, they settled in the plain, which is a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful place to grow food and do agriculture, grow cows and whatever, you're, so you can eat and feed your family, which is pretty necessary. However, they're dangerous because raiders can come along and it's hard to protect yourself in a plane. A city meant walls. It meant a tower. That probably meant the ability to see enemies coming from a long way away. It also meant, and as we look at this specifically, it meant that no matter how far you wandered off into the edges of the plain, if you've got a tall enough tower, you're never gonna be lost. The city and the tower gave them a name for themselves. It, it gave them the ability uh, to be set and not fulfill God's call. Finally, and, and we're, like I said, it's a dark narrative, but we see explicit rebellion against God. When we hear the phrase, make a name for ourselves, what we think of, and the way that we use that phrase today, is reputation, right? He's really made a name for himself in business, you know? Or she has really made a name for herself with her, you know, whatever. We think of reputation. However, uh, the idea of naming has a very rich history in the book of Genesis, especially in Genesis 1 and 2, right? Naming is one of the, the gifts that God gives to Adam as, as some measure of authority that's bestowed upon him to name the animals, the creatures, right, and the woman. And so what does it mean when they say, we will make a name for ourselves, to make our name for ourselves goes beyond the pride of being renowned tower builders or something like that, although that's probably something to do with it. It's about casting off the shackles of God's authority. We will make a name. We will not receive a name. We will make a name for ourselves. It's, and it's shown at an even deeper level when you consider the purpose of this whole activity, which we see at the end of verse 4. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth all of this activity, all of this cultural progress, all of this unity, what is it being leveraged toward? Lest we be displaced, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, okay, sorry, what's so bad about that? What's so bad about, I mean, what's wrong with their impulse to not want to spread out? I mean, which of the 10 commandments are they breaking? Trick question, no 10 commandments yet, but what, what's wrong? Well, they've broken, actually, the only commandment, the only call that's been given. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, over everything that lives on the earth. And as I said, reaffirming and in the, in the reset of Noah and his family after the flood that was supposed to wipe away all those problems, right? God blessed Noah in Genesis 9.1 and his sons, and said to them, does this sound familiar, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And, and so this desire that they have, that every, every part of their culture is leveraging to, to, together is in direct opposition to God's call on their lives, to fill the earth and subdue it. So what do we do with all that? What is it, what a sad story. Like I said, this is, this is a story that you know, maybe you remember in your mind is sort of a nice cheery tale. Oh, ha ha, pepe le pew, you know, I speak French, she speaks Spanish, and those languages didn't, didn't exist yet. But you know, it's just sort of silly, but in, it's actually very sad. And yet, uh, it's an opportunity for us, especially on this day where we've done this with our children and we've sort of gathered together and we said, we're going to do this together to, to ask ourselves, if we, we've had these children, God has blessed us with these children, just like God blessed them with this technological so insight, what kind of culture, what kind of community are we inviting these children into? Is it a community of the king? Is it a community that shines forth and displays forth the goodness of our creator, or, to return to the question that I asked us initially, how can we be a community that honors God? Okay, I don't know if uh, any of you are interested in sort of science and sort of these nerdy TV shows, but anyone ever seen How It's Made? Okay, How It's Made? It used to be on the Discovery Channel, Science Channel, that sort of thing. Well, it's a very simple show. Guess what it's all about? how stuff is made. It's so well-titled, okay? I love that. Uh, and in each episode, they picked two or three, maybe four products, and it's all, there's no, it's so simple. They go into the factory, they go into the place where things made, and they just show a video of how it's made, okay? And there's hardly any narration, no text on the screen, no transitions, no clever anything, how it's made, okay? And one of my favorites uh, was a time when they show they went to the, the Mint, to the Treasury, right? where the coins are stamped and the paper is printed and all that sort of thing. Is it paper? I forget how it works. But bills are printed and all that sort of thing. And they showed the coin press, okay? It's this huge machine, right? And a tiny little goes in there, and quarter, and it's going to be a quarter, and so it comes down, and boom, with, you know, 10,000 pounds of pressure, instantly you've got the quarter, and it rolls the thing, and and it's beautiful and shiny, and it's amazing. Okay, but if you were to look at this stamp, what would you see? It stamps it, and then you have this positive impression that it leaves, right? That is the quarter that we all know. But if you were to look at the stamp itself, at, you know, unscrew it or however you do I don't know how. It, it's not how stuff is disassembled, guys. It's how it's made. So if you were to do that and look at it, what would you see? Would you see a quarter? No, you'd see the opposite of a quarter. You'd see the negative of a quarter. You'd see what happens when the negative strikes it, it creates the positive image. And so in the same way, this story functions in many ways like that press. It's, it's the negative that creates, if we, if we let it in our hearts, the positive impression. It shows us a community gone awry, and it's been given to God, by God to us so that we can see the positive impression that it might create in us. So what I want to do is with each of these things, the self-centeredness and the pride and, and that, to go through. And we'll, we'll look at the negative impression that it is using on us as a community, and also consider what is the positive thing that God has called us to as a result. So, let's begin. This is going to be deep application time. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, it's time to just, we're going to get a little bit real. Okay? All right, we're good. So, remember, first of all, we talked about the, ba- the Babylonites, the Babylonites, and, and sort of their self-centeredness. You know, everything was for ourselves, right? for me. For me and my clan, for me and my folk, everything in their society sort of seemed to revolve around this phrase, for ourselves. Even in the way that it's, you know, come, let us do this. It's not, it doesn't sound like, you know, the assembly gathered together. And they said, what shall we do? Shall we uh, go do what God told us to and sort of disperse and have our own little tribes and sort of fill the earth and do that? Mm, No, it's not, it doesn't read like the sort of UN General Assembly final notes. Come, let us which we see repeated there, come, let us do that, let's make bricks. Hey, come, let us build a building. It's it's telling us about the nature of their society and the nature of their culture and how it was turned in on itself for ourselves. This is especially evident in the way that they use technology, remember, our bricks? The way that they use that progress rather than for, imagine how that could be helpful for, for the people around them, right? Instead of using it for that, they use it for themselves and to go against God, to turn themselves inward. And so the the positive vision that we see from that is is this, that's sort of struck by that negative image is this. God's idea for our community today is that we would be a community so fundamentally oriented toward the good of our neighbors, the people around us, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in, in our friend groups, that, that we would leverage, instead of leveraging our per- progress, our blessing, our whatever it is, instead of leveraging it against others, instead we would leverage all of our resources to love and serve those around us. And so, mo- most of us, probably, uh, if we're here, we're, we're probably too proper to exhibit you know, this sort of outward selfishness and sort of say to ourselves, you know what? I think I'd like to do this all for myself. You know, we're, but the mark of Babel is on each of us and in Babel we specifically see our own propensity especially here, specifically to use technology not to take ourselves out of our own hearts and worlds and lives and minds to bless others but rather we tend to use technology and its blessings to take ourselves inward to point ourselves back toward ourselves to be curved back in on ourselves and so... I don't know about you, but I find that of all the things that numb my heart to the needs of those around me, my cell phone has to be near or at the top of the list. What an incredible blessing from God is my iPhone, an incredible tool that I can use to fulfill my calling, to reach out to those around me, bless them, to, hey, I'm praying for you, to access scripture and all these tools that we've been giving. But I I find most of the time, maybe you too, that like the Babylonites, I use my technology to insulate myself from the calling that God has put on my life rather than using it to fulfill it. Tony Reinke in his book, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, he says, we find it easy to fall into the trap of digital distractions because in the most alluring new apps, we find a welcome escape from our truest, rawest, and most honest self-perceptions. I don't know about you, but I often find that my phone has become a perfectly pocket-sized priest to which I go to get temporary and unsatisfying nourishment for my hungry, needy, sick, tired soul. When I feel like a failure, my phone is close at hand, and I can pop over to Instagram or whatever, Twitter, whatever it is, and I can gather some likes, and I can shove them into my needy heart, and my thirst for approval, my hunger for the renown that I, I so want has been quenched, even just for a moment, even, if, even though it'll go away. Uh, if I feel empty, I can tap on over to Amazon, and I can do some 21st century window shopping. And I can imagine. They, have you seen their ads lately, by the way? The ad, you know, the guy scrolling through Amazon, and then he looks over, and it's a vision. Of him, he's looking at this jacket, and he looks. over, It's a vision of himself wearing this jacket, and his all his friends around him. He's become very popular from this jacket. Are laughing, and there, and there's you know a beautiful woman who's now interested, and all these. You know what? What are we? What am I doing? I'm imagining the good life, what I could have, what I what I might get, I, and I, I can put that in my soul. I, even if I don't buy anything, I, I get to sit there and imagine the satisfaction of of what I might have. If I feel bored, I can click on Netflix, or Hulu, or Disney Plus now, and hook myself up to just a never-ending stream of soul static. Uh, And I can use it, I so often use it, as as just sort of a narcotic that keeps my heart maladies at bay, at least for now. I just don't have to think about it. Maybe you, like me, you remember the time before cell phones? before so much of this technology was miniaturized and on our person at any time, even in our glasses, you know, that sort of thing. Remember when you had to just wait in a line? Anyone remember waiting in a line, okay? You probably don't remember it now because it seems to pass by so fast because you just flip open, right? Flip it open so you can not have to be in that moment, right? Remember waiting for a bus? Anyone ever had to wait for a bus, right? Yeah, of course you know you're getting a prescription filled something like that what it's just you and your hungry heart and whatever it churns up right and you can still stuff it but now now that this is here we don't even have to stuff it because we can keep we don't even have to think about stuffing it because we can keep it from ever even coming up because we've sort of insulated ourselves from these things i wonder what an opportunity we have uh, to see transformation within ourselves and what kind of light would shine out from our community if we became a people who looked up, who, who let our hearts churn up the mess that's within them. So many of us feel fine because we have been keeping everything under the surface for so long without even realizing it, without any negative motive. We've just done it, right? And what if we let those things get churned up and in community address them with the power of the gospel? and let the Holy Spirit do what it wants to do, eagerly wants to do to change our hearts. Can I suggest two ideas for how this might begin to happen in your life? First one would be, give your technology a home away from your nightstand, okay? Uh, I know it's so easy, you know, the phone, get it, and then first thing in the morning, phone, last thing at night, phone, and you bookend your day with technology, right? Might I suggest trying to have a wake-up time, that's 30 minutes after you wake up, and a no night time, na-night phone, 30 minutes before you go to bed, so that you can bookend your day with undistracted, unentertained time. Maybe you're reading a book, doing something else. Secondly, try to make it a habit to fast from technology. Allow yourself to be unentertained, unbusy, unhurried, unharried, you know. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe that's, that's a good start. Right? Maybe you say, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to do nothing. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see what my heart spits out at me, and bring it to the Lord. And maybe next time you try 20 minutes. Maybe that's a good start. And well, I guess this isn't really a third so much. But along with that, talk about these things with your community, with your community group, with whoever are those people in your life. What is going? What if we were a community that leveraged instead of like them, Babel, leveraged our technology for the good of those around us, leveraged it. In way to connect with one another and those who don't know the Lord meaningfully and consistently rejected those soul-numbing habits and let the Lord begin to make us our souls so radiant with the change that He begins to do in our lives. What if we embrace that vision today? And so that's their self-centeredness. What about their pride? They they imagined this tower, they imagined this city, they imagined a future that could be secured by their own self-effort. By their own effort. It was a name for themselves. Apart from any idea of dependence on God, see see pride shows itself in the most ugly way when we rest in our own capacity for achievement, thinking that we can make ourselves invulnerable through our own effort. That's a negative vision. Well, what's the positively? Uh, it's a community rather than ignoring our dependence on God. We embrace our dependence on God collectively consciously we recognize the sovereign rule of God on our lives and we entrust him with our individual and corporate future. There's no fear. There's no need. We don't need to build a tower or a city or whatever it is because we, actually, we already have a refuge, a mighty refuge. Our God is our refuge who we go in to hide from, from everything. We can hide in him. Now, of course, many of us were too tame to sort of puff out our chests like the Babylonians, you know, and however in pride, but we each have, like they did, a city of our own, a tower in our imagination. Something that we cling to, something that we imagine. If we were only to achieve it, something that like a city or a tower will protect us, defend us from pain, satisfy us, cure our soul. And, and what is it for you? Let me ask you this simple diagnostic question. When, when, pe- when you imagine someone thinking of you, your name comes to mind. Their, your likeness passes through their consciousness. What do you hope they think? What do you hope they're thinking of you? There could be many good answers to that, but I want you to th- what, what what do you hope, really? Uh, unfortunately, of course there are many good things, but often it's the very best parts of ourselves that push us to pride. It's not the worst parts of ourselves that we say, that's my great, it's the best parts. The best parts of our personality, the best parts of our bodies, our talents, they tempt us with this subtle, maybe even subconscious thought that as long as I have it, I'll be okay. As long as the tower is standing, as long as the city's walls are secure, I'll be okay. As long as I have it, you know, it's one thing to have an incredible work ethic. It's It's a great blessing. But do you find yourself meditating on the laziness of those around you? Uh, unable to, you almost don't know where the thought came from, but uh, if they would just. It may be uh, that achievement is, is your tower, your idol. Do you find it hard to rest, to truly rest, and not let yourself visit that last email, visit that next little task? Achievement, I wanna because I love you, dear friends, achievement, you must know, is a cruel idol. and and it will make you feel lazy, and it will make you, push you further and further, and it will never keep its promises to you. The thing that it is trying to tell you, hold out in front of you like a carrot on a stick, is is a pure fiction. It will never let you get it. It will never keep its promises. But we serve the God who keeps all of his promises. It's it's one thing to be an attractive person. It's, it's nice, uh, but do you constantly find yourself noticing when noti- people notice you? Wondering if they noticed you? Did, did their head turn? Did they? Comparing yourself with others, hoping they will notice. Beauty, you must know, is, is a cruel idol. It will make you feel ugly every day, and it will hold that carrot in front of your face forever. And it will never deliver on what it offers, but our God always does. It's one thing to be smart. Do you notice yourself interrupting conversations with uh, actually and and constantly thinking of what I will say next, what I will add to this conversation to show people the things that I know? Intellect, likewise, is a cruel, cruel master that will will push you into the ground, make you feel stupid every minute, and it will never hold up its end of the deal. But our God is a covenant-keeping God who always keeps his promises. If we submit, and when we submit as a community, our pride to the Lord, the humility that we engender, the humility that we gain is so attractive. Can you imagine a church where people aren't shy about their gifts? They're not embarrassed about their gifts. They don't, oh, I'm not really that, um, yeah, I can do it, you know, but rather they offer them up in service of one another in their community. They don't shove them down your throat, but they are radically secure, and their creators care for them. It honors God, which is a answer your our question and it's incredibly compelling now I hope that doesn't feel like an enormous burden but let's turn to see what Jesus makes of all this we see the end of this how does God respond to this wicked community and how will he help us today verse 5 says and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built literally the children of Adam had built and the Lord said behold they are all one people and they have all one language this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them come, let us go down. And there confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, Babel because there the Lord confused their la- the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And so in 5 through 9, we see God intervening in protective judgment. The last time that God had seen humanity united in sin, the floodwaters came down from heaven, but he promised never to do that again. So what will he do? What will God do? How will he rescue humanity without destroying humanity? How will he be true to his word and true to his love for his people while being true to his justice? He will come down. And we can't miss the humor of verse five. After building this tower with its head in the heavens, what does God have to do? The Lord comes down and to see the city and the tower, which the and intentionally, the children of Adam, right? I mean, you know, Jack has just started getting just you know the coordination to be able to build a tower. And I sort of imagine that's what it's like for God. Let me look at your tower. Oh, what a, what a nice tower you made. Wow. Right? Uh, very nice. And right after we hear this, you know, he comes down, and 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 yet God takes this threat to his people seriously. Nothing they propose now will be impossible. He's not lying, right, he's, he's serious. And so he intervenes for their own protection. Their self-deception and pride is gonna be halted externally by this frustrating means of their, <laughs> altering their plans by making them unavoidably incoherent to one another. And so God names them Babel. Remember when they said, we'll make a name for ourselves? He says, yeah, I'll, I'll make a name for you. Actually, it'll be Babel, which means confused. <laughs> which is exactly what they were and exactly what we are in our sin. And yet, this, this intervention wasn't a permanent fix. It was a curb. You know what, how a curb works? It tells you, hey, you're going on the sidewalk. It doesn't keep you from going on the sidewalk. It tells you, and it keeps them from straying too far off the road. Humanity was not fixed, but it was restrained. But to effect a true fix, God would have to come down again. Not in order to bring judgment, but in order to bear judgment. On the cross, Jesus Christ experienced the confusion of God's judgment and the devastating loss of relationship that entailed even to the point of death. But he didn't stay in the grave. God raised him by the power of his spirit, and he was raised from the dead. And yet there's more. There's, there's even more than that. God doesn't just forgive us when he fails, which we learn there, but he empowers us to obey by the same power that he rose Christ, by which he rose Christ from the death. We read in Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, here we are in the New Testament, and this new church is, is is arising. The day of Pentecost arrived; they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from the heavens a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were in, dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound This multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are these not all Galileans who are speaking? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and he goes through all these names. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works that God has done. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? What does this mean? It means the Lord came down, not to disrupt the language. He he came down formerly to Babel to disrupt the wicked unity of the Babylonians, And the same spirit that did that all those years ago came down on the day of Pentecost, not to disrupt, but to unify them. Alighting, whistling through the air, coming and alighting like fire on the gathered church and enabling to speak In unknown languages, God was undoing the curse of Babel in the community of his church, this very community that we stand in today. And from now on, there would not be a community united in wickedness, but a community united in righteousness to proclaim God's good works to all people all over the earth, and that the commission that began this whole thing would be fulfilled in them. They would be what Babel could have been, what Babel should have been have been. God's power empowers us by His Spirit today so that when we think about the role of technology, and today maybe we were even tempted to despair when we think about the effects, but we don't because we know God's Spirit is within us and will lead us to righteousness. He wants to. He is eager to. We have power to break through in victory. When we consider our pride that we have in common with Babel, we don't despair because we know that God's Spirit is within us, enabling us and empowering us to have victory. And so to return to our big question, as we consider, as we commission these children, ourselves and these children, how can we be a community that honors God? Let's be a community that evidences the power and presence of God's spirit among us. A community united, not for wickedness, but for godliness. Leveraging every resource at hand to love God and our neighbor as ourselves. This is God's incredible vision for us Let's embrace it today by the power of God's spirit as we look to Jesus, our great king and leader of this new nation, this new people, uh, transnational, trans-everything that is seeking and pressing onward to honor our God. Let's pray together. Lord, you are great and very mighty. As we read in Genesis, we can't, we can't help but remember how in the beginning you created all things by the word of your power. The breath of your mouth and the intention of your spirit created all things out of nothing. And we pray that you would do a similar great work among us. That you would create us a new creation in Christ. Not only as individuals, but as a people. That we would gather together, not for wickedness as the Babylonians did, but for righteousness. Speaking the powerful acts of God to one another. That is the gospel. Speaking the powerful acts that you have done in our lives to one another. And to all those who hear, to all those who would would seek you truly, to seek your face, beautify us. Make us a radiant community that shines forth your glory now and through eternity, we pray. Help us to worship now, truly and powerfully, the God who exists, who is there hearing us, loving what he has seen, loving your word, pushing your word into our hearts. Make us this kind of people, we pray, for your son's glory. And in his name we pray, amen.
0: we All right, church, just a couple of quick announcements before you go. Um, First of all, one of the regular ways that we keep ourselves from being a church that is consumed and only thinking about ourselves is through our thanksgiving offering which we do every year that's next week um, if you have a gift that you'd like to give starting tomorrow that offering goes towards three things we've designated the global workers fund faith academy which happens right here and also our general ministry fund which is in need of a bit of a boost So, starting next week you can give towards that there's a gray box in the back where we give our regular tithes and offerings you can make it out a of thanksgiving offering and just drop it in that box Um, Also, tomorrow night is our congregational meeting. That is at 6 p.m. at the Central Campus. So if you're a member um, of Parkview Church, we would invite you to come at 6 p.m. for our congregational meeting. All right? Other than that, that's all we got for you this week. It is now um, my opportunity to dismiss you. And my my prayer for you is that as we go now, um, that we do so in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and in the fellowship of the Spirit, that he will be with us as we go. We'll see you guys next week, all right? Have a good one.